Well, hello, Brew City. So good to be with you. So good to be with you in your home or in your car. Hopefully you're not watching if you're in your car. In your campsite, wherever you, wherever this finds you, whenever you're watching. If it's this morning, good morning. So good to be with you. Maybe this afternoon, maybe tonight after the kids have gone to bed. Hello. Or maybe even you're watching this from bed in the middle of the in the middle of the night because you thought I need something that will put me to sleep. Wherever you are, whatever your day has looked like or morning has been, I love you, and I'm glad to be with you. It's easy to forget what a wild time we live we live in right now, isn't it? Seven months in, or in their seventh month of a global global pandemic that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. We'll be doing this for a long time. And then we had this, have had this civil rights upheaval and uprising, this movement happen. And on both of these things that are just epic, I mean historic, in both of these things, there's all sorts of opinions, all sorts of thoughts, all sorts of debates. I feel like, I kind of feel like I've been through the ringer. I don't know about you. And I know I've, we've heard that for some people it's been hard to connect with church, whether it's because of kids or whether it's because of issues or debates or ideas or ideals, whatever it might be. It's just been hard, and I get it. I want to let you know that we're with you. We see you. We love you. We're all trying our best. So speaking of civil unrest and the civil rights movement that has just exploded in our world since late May, we are beginning a new sermon series this morning, a four-week sermon series about racism in the church, the church's complicity, the church's silence, the church's endorsement historically. Now many of us, some of us, might feel, we, 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 as I said that, we might have gotten this feeling of Man, we've been talking about this a lot. Did you get that feeling? Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe for some of us, we haven't talked about this enough. But for many of us, maybe you felt feeling like, can we just be done with it now? I want to just, I understand, but I want to let you know why we've been talking about racism and racism in the church an awful lot. The first reason, the first and foremost reason, is just because of the gospel. It's simply because of the gospel. The gospel, friends, the gospel is a liberating force in the universe. That's just the end, period. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a liberating and freedom-bringing force in the universe, and it will not settle for any injustice or oppression or enslavement. It will not settle for systems of injustice. Paul called, called those the powers and principalities that we are actually at war with. We've been talking about this a lot because of the gospel. We've also been talking about this because of the, this is the kingdom. Jesus was always found in and among the marginalized. You can't take an honest reading of the scriptures without realizing and seeing, particularly in the gospels, that Jesus, God incarnate, always, always preferred and found himself among intentionally among the marginalized, the oppressed of his world, 
the words of the gospel rang truest and most beautiful to the oppressed and the marginalized in Jesus' world. This is the way of the kingdom. Jesus seemed to think that the way we treat the oppressed and the marginalized, and the, the, Jesus seemed to think that the way we treat those people is the way we actually treat him. This is why we've been talking about this. We've been talking about this because of the call of the Holy Spirit. I t- I've told some of you this, but I had a Monday, I had a day, early June, on a Monday morning where I felt like the Holy Spirit was arresting me and I was wrestling with the Holy Spirit. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was addressing me and it was very simple words, clear words. This doesn't happen all the time to me. But I felt the Spirit over and over again asking me just one question, one main question. And that was, the Spirit said, Randy, you have power in your voice. How far are you willing to push? Randy, you have power in your voice. How much are you willing to use it? I heard this over and over again, and I knew what the Spirit was talking about. I knew the Spirit was talking about you might lose people from your church. You might alienate friends and family members. You might make people angry. But you have power in your voice. Are you willing to use it? How far, how much are you willing to use it? Unrelenting question from the Holy Spirit. Finally, when I relented and said, yep, I'm in. I'm in. I'll use my voice as much and as far as I can. I felt this wave of peace. But then the Spirit immediately addressed me and it was the Spirit was talking about you. The Spirit said, Randy, the people around you have power in their voice. Are you going to challenge them to use their voices? It was just undeniable. I thought I was done. And then immediately, as soon as I said, yes, I'm willing to push, I'm willing to use my voice To set the oppressed free, the Spirit said, Randy, the people around you have power in their voice. Are you willing to push them? Now, that was the Spirit talking to me, and I'm absolutely convinced that it was the Holy Spirit addressing me. But it's not your job to act on a word that I got. It's your job to submit that before the Holy Spirit yourself and say, what would you have me do, Holy Spirit? You just following my word because I say I got a word from the Spirit sounds a lot like a cult to me. But I would submit to you and I would challenge you, if you haven't done this, or do it again, to say, how, Holy Spirit, are you wanting me to use my voice? Because each of you who are listening have power in your voice, just so you know. This is why we've been talking about this all summer long and now even into the fall. Here's another reason. I've got a lot of friends who are pastors of churches in the Milwaukee area. And particularly, my African-American, my black pastor friends, got a number of them, good friends, beautiful, amazing men of God. And they, since the George Floyd murder, they have been saying collectively, whether it's on social media or in person via text, White pastors, we need your voice. Where is your voice, white pastors? In white churches, where is your voice? Are you with us? I've heard all sorts of opinions from all sorts of people. Friends, family, some Bruce City people, some people in the church outside of Bruce City. I've heard all sorts of opinions, gotten all sorts of pushback, all sorts of judgment, all sorts of rebuke, all sorts of support. But I've got to tell you, the reason that you've seen me posting a lot about this, the reason that I've been talking about it, the reason we've been talking about it, one of the main reasons 
is because my black pastor friends have over and over again said, we need your voice and we need it now. Silence is not an option. This is why we've been talking about this so much. And going all the way back to the first Sunday after George Floyd was murdered, do you remember what I read to, to us all? That letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King. This is why we've been talking about this so much, because more than 50 years ago, when the, when the bells of freedom were ringing, when, when, the, when the birth pains of freedom and liberation were, were, were beginning to settle in, and Martin Luther King Jr. was begging the church, particularly the white church in the South, to stand and speak up with him, what he heard in return was silence. And now we get to read those names of those pastors who actually put out statements against Martin Luther King in the cause of freedom. I don't want my name to be read generations from now. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, and I don't want Bruce City Church to be on the wrong side of history. This is why we have been and are talking about race and racism and racism in the church and the complicity and silence from the white church. Now, even though all that said, if you still disagree, if you still feel like we've been talking about this too much, you still feel like we've been making too big of a deal out of this, I get it. And I want to tell you, we love you. I love you. There's so much room for you at Bruce City Church, even if you disagree with us, even if you feel like this is too much, too heavy-handed. It's okay. Let's, in unity, that doesn't mean agreement, but in unity in our diversity, let's learn from one another. Let's talk. We love you. But I got to tell you, I'm not going to stop challenging you and inviting you into fighting for freedom and liberation and justice. So today we begin, I'm sorry if you hear my kids stomping around, just pretend we're back at the church building and that's the elementary kids up in the choir loft getting loud. That's my kids right now upstairs. Today we begin a sermon series unlike any we've ever done in the history of Bruce City Church. Today, as we, as I, as I speak, as I'm speaking to you, there are over a dozen churches in the Milwaukee area who have pastors who are preaching the same exact sermon to their congregations. It's amazing. After this day of repentance and solidarity we that we did in in mid-August in State Fair, we resolved as churches to to preach through a sermon series that would be a united sermon series where we're all talking about the same thing at the same time. Dozens of churches around the Milwaukee area talking about this and processing this. And then we're going to have small groups, which we talked about and announced today that you can be a part of still, that are going to be processing what we talk about. Talk about the movement of the Spirit, friends. God is moving. God is doing things. God is stirring things. In the city of Milwaukee, city that's been known as the most segregated city in the U.S., a city that's been known as one of the most racist, racist cities in their region. God is stirring. God is doing something. He's doing something beautiful in and through the church. I don't want to miss that. So today as we begin this sermon series, this four-week sermon series about racism and the church in America, we're, begin, we're going to begin talking about History, just a little bit, little highlights of the history of the white church and racism in America. 
Now, some of you might be rolling your eyes and thinking, well, we don't have anything to do with what our ancestors did. We didn't, we didn't enslave people. I didn't own slaves. I didn't endorse that. I'm not a, I don't, I don't endorse slavery. I don't endorse racism. Friends, this is our heritage. This is the legacy that we've been given. This is what's been passed down to us, friends. If we aren't going to talk about our history as a church and our history of sins and brokenness and what many have called the original, America's original sin, slavery and racism, that old saying actually is going to come true. Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. Friends, that has happened for 400 years generation after generation after generation of the church, not learning from our history, not even knowing our history of racism and complicity and silence, not knowing it. So we can't even learn from it, and we've been repeating it over and over and over and over and over. When I was growing up, I never heard one word about race and racism and and injustice and oppression in the church. I never heard one word. I was a church kid. I grew up the first probably 12 years of my life in a Baptist church. I was baptized when I was nine years old. I still remember it to this day. Then we went to a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod Lutheran church. And I don't think I ever heard a sermon preached or a word said about racism. We thought it's all done with. Far be it from me, far be it from us, for our kids to say that same thing. I So help me if my kids say, I never heard my dad, I never heard my parents, I never heard my church leaders talk about race and racism. And all of that in the church. So let's dive in. We're just going to think about two, maybe three main pieces of history. There's a litany, a laundry list where we can talk about complicity with racism and even slavery. Let's start with a a big name. There's this man in the church, in the evangelical church, who's considered possibly the founder of the evangelical church, George Whitefield. George Whitefield was a a dynamic preacher. He was a reformer, and I'm not a reformer, he was a revivalist. George Whitefield was from England. He was an Anglican, but he was too radical for them, so he came across to the colonies. And he he began preaching, and, and revival happened. George Whitefield was really the father of the Great Awakening, one of the greatest, if not the greatest revival this nation has ever known, where George Whitefield would literally preach to 10 or 20,000 people at a time. This is in the 18th century. George Whitefield would travel all over preaching the gospel and people would say yes to Jesus over and over and over and over again. Thousands, even possibly millions of people giving their lives to Christ, following Jesus. Revival was really happening. The stuff that we dream of. George Whitefield, in many ways, was responsible for. George Whitefield is a name that you don't have to know church history really well to have known that name. Maybe you don't know that he was associated with the Great Awakening. Maybe you don't know that he was this dynamic preacher in the 18th century. But that name means something if you've been around the church, doesn't it? George Whitefield did all sorts of amazing things. Unfortunately, most of us were never taught that George Whitefield actively campaigned to legalize slavery in the state of Georgia. Did you know that? I never did. I never knew this. But George Whitefield 
the 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 guy who began the great awakening the 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 great evangelist who really in many ways was partially responsible for starting the evangelical movement that's still going today he actively campaigned to legalize slavery in Georgia he wanted to start a, a an orphanage and you know how we wanted to build that orphanage on the backs of slaves he complained that his orphanage wasn't built quickly enough because he wasn't allowed slaves early enough. Talk about the ugliest of ironies, trying to help orphans by using an oppressing whole ethnic group. George Whitefield campaigned and they and he won. He and his followers won. And I believe it was 18 no, 1751. He saw Georgia legalize slavery again. They legalized and let black people in, which basically meant they legalized slavery. And George Whitefield literally called it part personal victory and part divine will. Let me say that again. When slavery was legalized in Georgia in 1751, George Whitefield called it, quote, part personal victory and part divine will. This is what he believed. Now, while George Whitefield also early in his preaching career uh, rebuked slave owners for treating their slaves worse than their dogs, then later on he did this. He, 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 he lobbied for slavery. He saw slavery as good because he figured if we can bring them over, if we can bring, if we can bring Africans over and, and evangelize to them, that's God's will. That's the best for them. And we keep them slaves. George Whitefield one of the pillars of the American church. Revivalist. Famous preacher. Beloved father of the evangelical church. Slave owner. Plantation owner. Lobbyist for slavery to be legalized. Celebrated it. Was angry that it wasn't happening when it wasn't. This is the church in America. It doesn't just stop with George Whitefield, friends. Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States of America. The Southern Baptist Convention is huge, and she is powerful. The Southern Baptist Convention has around 14.5 million church members today. Now, those numbers have been declining but it's still by far the biggest Protestant denomination in the United States of America. The SBC has grown into this powerful machine. The South Southern Baptist Convention has grown into this powerful machine that politicians love to kowtow to and to cozy up to. The Southern Baptist Convention has loads and loads of power in all sorts of arenas in our nation, and they know it. They use it. They leverage it. Fourteen and a half million members. Did you know that the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States of America, the Southern Baptist Convention was started because of its commitment to slavery. I am not joking. I am not speaking in hyperbole. I am not exaggerating. Go ahead and fact check me. Push this on pause and go fact check me. In about 1845, there was a loose association of Baptists. It was called the Triennial Convention. And the Triennial Convention made this church law 
that said if you're going to be a missionary with the Triennial Convention, you can't own slaves. Sounds, sounds about right to me. If you want to be a missionary, if you're going to go represent this convention, this denomination, these Baptist denomination, you can't be a slave owner. Sounds, sounds not too radical. Well, turns out it was. See, because many, 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 many who were part of this triennial, triennial convention split off instead of the Southern Baptist Convention because they had to have slaves. Southern Baptist Convention was literally started because they were so committed to slavery. They couldn't not have slaves. They wouldn't allow their missionaries to say, no, we are not going to have slaves anymore. They couldn't agree with that. They were so committed to this, this awful, injustice, oppressive, disgusting thing called slavery over, over Africans and over black people in the United States. They were so committed to it. They started their own church denomination that was committed to slavery. And it didn't just stop in 1845. So many, I mean, many Baptists joined the Southern Baptist Convention because of their complicity and because of their endorsement and association with slavery. They justified slavery biblically. And this, this didn't just end in the 19th century. In the early 20th century, the Southern Baptist Convention was known for supporting and openly endorsing segregation, for opposing integration in their churches even. All throughout the 20th century, opposing the civil rights movement, opposing liberation and freedom, opposing justice, opposing breaking down strands of oppression, like the book of Isaiah says. Opposing it. Friends, it took until 1995. I have, I have Southern Baptist friends and family, and I love them. But we're just, we just got to be honest and we've got to learn from our history. We've got to understand our history in order to learn from it and not repeat it. It took until 1995 for any leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention to apologize or to admit that they were wrong. 1995. And even those guys were getting death threats because of it. Getting death threats because they were rebuking their racist history. Friends, this is the church in the United States of America. George Whitefield, the father, one of the fathers of evangelicalism, one of the, the, the guy who helped start the Great Awakening, one of the greatest revivals, revival times in the church in American history, an advocate and lobbyist for slavery. Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States of America, over 150 years old, was started and began and thrived on its endorsement and commitment and addiction to slavery and continued in this in, in, in being complicit, not even just silent, but complicit in the face of injustice and oppression, complicit in endorsing segregation, endorsing prejudice, endorsing racism. And then when it became uncouth, becoming silent and complicit with the systemic racism we find all around us. This is the church in the United States of America. Now, friends, this is literally just a couple of highlights. I mean, I could give you quote after quote 
after quote after quote church leader after church leader bishop after bishop i i, I think the number was there were 1200 methodist bishops in the united states of america pre-civil war who all were slave owners i can just give you just a litany this is just a tiny little taster of our racist history of the white church in america this is our inheritance. Again, in Milwaukee, I grew up in this church. And I never heard a word about racism. I never heard a word about injustice. I never heard a word about redlining. I never heard a word about unjust and racist housing laws and ordinances. I never heard a word about it. I never knew about it. I was never taught it in school, and I surely didn't hear about it in church. I want to ask you, friends, how do you think God feels about all this? Just listen to the people of God, the church in America, and how hard they fought to keep slavery alive. How do you think that makes God feel? As you listen to the largest denomination, Protestant denomination in the United States of America, beginning because of its addiction and commitment to slavery and its history of racism, how do you think that makes the everlasting Almighty Father and Mother and Creator of all things, who created these beautiful ones and said, You are. My image bearer, you were created in my image, which means you have unsurpassing worth and value and dignity. How do you think that makes our God feel? Well, here's the good thing. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We don't have to say, well, I bet he doesn't like that. We get we we have this, friends. We have the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God, we call it. And the scriptures are littered with God's booming voice against oppression and injustice. And friends, let's be clear, racism, systemic racism, all of what we're talking about is injustice and oppression. It's happening. And the people of God have been silent and complicit or even outright endorsing it since time began. But see, God has something to say about it. This is Isaiah 10, and I could take you to a number of spots in Isaiah. I could take you to Isaiah 1, Isaiah 58. I could take you to a number of spots in Jeremiah. I could take you to Amos 4. I could take you to Proverbs. All throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament, God's heart against oppression and injustice is clear, and it's striking. It's not even clear. It's striking. It's challenging. It inspires fear of the Lord. Here's Isaiah 10. Talking, God talking to his people. If you're uncomfortable with being addressed and challenged about silence and complicity, just know this, this people, God's people have been uncomfortable with God's challenges for thousands of years. Isaiah 10, starting in verse 1. Woe to you who make unjust laws. Systemic oppression. Woe to you who make unjust laws. To those who issue oppressive decrees. Friends, so many of us 
in the white church in America don't want to admit that systemic racism and injustice is a thing. So many of us, we live in this system that's been built by us and for us, but yet we want, we want to wink and nod and pretend that it's not there. God's people were doing that thousands of years ago, and he had compelled Isaiah to speak against it and to say, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from, from the oppressed of my people, making their widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. How does God feel about this history, this legacy, this inheritance of racism and bitterness and hatred in the, in the church in America for 400 years. Woe to you who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, and to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people. That's how God feels. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. See, we, the church, have picked and choose and, and, and ignored texts like this for 400 years, and I don't want to anymore. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to pretend. I want to listen to my black pastor friends who are saying, where's your voice? It's taken 400 years. Where is your voice? White pastors and white churches. And by white churches, I mean you. Thank God we have some black people in our church. And we're pray we've been praying for 14 years for more, because we don't want to be a reflection of the segregated city of Milwaukee. We want to be a reflection of the kingdom of God, which is every tribe, tongue, nation, all of it. My black pastor friends are asking, where's your voice? Even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. God's saying, I fully believe God is saying in this moment, where's your voice? You have power in your voice. How much are you willing to use it? You have power inside of you. Because of who you are, but also because of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Spirit of God is always crying out for liberation. The Spirit of God is always crying out for justice and freedom. Are we going to say yes to that Spirit within us? Are we going to say yes to the scriptures that we say we hold so dearly to? Friends, are we going to say yes to the Jesus who arrives on the scene and he starts his ministry by going to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah 61, and says, The sovereign Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Are we going to say yes to that, Jesus? Pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you, would you lead us? There's so much noise around all this in our culture, in our time. There's so many opinions. 
There's so much pain. There's guilt. There's offense. There's anger. There's politics. There's politics. And through it all, Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to us. Speak to your bride. Speak to your church. Speak to us, Bruce City Church. Call us and invite us. Where you're, where, where, this one of my favorite worship songs says, "Where you lead, I will follow." Lead us, Holy Spirit. I don't have any agenda. If it's not into to standing up for racial justice, I'll just follow you. But I think it is. But I just want to tell you, Holy Spirit, lead us. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Address us, Holy Spirit. We are listening. Would you break through all of this stuff? Would you exercise this demon of racism in the church in America? Would you exercise this demon of silence and complicity in the church in America? Jesus, you bled and died for a beautiful, radiant church. You love the church so much. Would you lead us, your church in America, into life, Jesus, in Jesus' name? Would you lead us into truth? Would you lead us into grace? Would you give us grace for our sins? Would you give us forgiveness? And would you help us walk into a new day? As far down and as deep and ugly as the ugliness was of our history, would you help the beauty to be in high and mighty and glorious? Would you help the church in America to be a force of liberation like no one thought possible? Would you help the church in America to take the lead in fighting against injustice and oppression like no one had dreamed of, but you did, Jesus? You dreamed of your church, died for your church to be the called out ones who stand up and stand, live into the kingdom of God. Reveal what resurrection looks like, what new creation looks like. Would you help us, your church, to be this Jesus? And for some of us this morning who are feeling isolated, would you be with us? Say, we're with you and the Holy Spirit is with you. For those of you who are feeling angry and overwhelmed by bitterness, we bless you with meekness and with peace. Your city church, those of you who are feeling overwhelmed by sorrow and sadness, we bless you. We're with you in your sadness. And we bless you with a cup that overflows with joy and hope for that day. For those of you who are mourning loss, we love you and we're with you. Holy Spirit, be with them. For those of you who feel like you don't know if you can believe anymore or belong. God is with you right there. And so are we. And so, Father, with would you just bless and breathe on, breathe your life on all these ones, brew cities scattered wherever they find themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.